0: Well, in the Jungle Book, Mowgli asks the animals, what is the most feared thing in the jungle? And he's told that when two animals meet on a narrow path and one has to step aside to let the other one pass, that's the most feared. One of them says, it's the elephant. Another one says, no, it's the lion. But then the wise old owl says, the most feared thing in the jungle is death because it steps aside for no one. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.2 that death is the end of every man. And if the rapture doesn't occur first where we who are believers in Jesus Christ will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air as we are alive right now, then every single one of us here, every man, woman, and child will face death, that physical end to our life. But as we're going to see today, as we turn in our Bible to Luke chapter 7, we do not have to fear death if we're walking with Jesus, because Jesus is able to make even death step aside. I invite you to look with me in your Bible at Luke 7, where I want to begin reading verses 11 through 17. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said, do not weep. And he came up, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother, and fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding districts. Now the passage begins, it says, and soon afterwards, it came about soon afterwards. And the soon afterwards is what we looked at last week. If you were here last week, you'll remember in the first part of Luke chapter 7, we saw that Jesus had healed a man who was near death. It was the slave of the centurion. And a report came to him and said, this man is about to die. And Jesus healed this man. He, he performed this great miracle. And then Jesus left Capernaum, and it says he traveled to Nain. Now, Nain was across the Jezreel Valley, and it was a little town up the hill of More. It would have taken about a day's journey from leaving Capernaum to Nain. And it says a sizable crowd is going with Jesus. And the reason for that is people have been hearing him teach. People have been seeing miracles. And if you were in Capernaum and you just saw this this man who was near death brought back to life, healed, physically brought out of the the bedridden state he was in, you're you're wondering, what is Jesus going to do next? And so it says they travel with him. There's this crowd going along. And as they're going along and people see this, and you you, you know they're talking about the miracle. They're buzzing about this great thing that happened. And more and more people are joining in saying, wow, we want to see what's going to happen next. And as they're coming up this hill, as they're going up the side of this mountain toward this little town called Nain, it says another procession is coming out of the city. So you have this long line of people following Jesus up the mountain, and you have this other line of people coming out of the mountain. Now, this second procession isn't buzzing about the great miracle they just saw. Instead, they're grieving about the great loss they've just experienced. It says there in verse 12, Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. As, as you picture this coffin being carried out, it, it's not like the caskets that we see. Maybe you've seen the news reports in the Middle East, and you have a better understanding of what it would have looked like. They, they would carry these coffins on their shoulders, so it would have been you know high up where everybody could see it. And it was a shallow box, often open on the top. Sometimes it was simply a pallet with a body wrapped in a sheet. And so this this young man is being carried out, and we're told that his mother is walking with him. She would have been beside uh, the casket there. In verse 14, Jesus addresses him as a young man, so we know he's not that old. He's a boy. And as this woman is going, not only is she going to bury her, her son, this young boy, but she's called a widow. And so what that tells us is she's made this trip before. She's made that journey to the cemetery outside the city before. She's lost her husband and buried him. And now she's burying her young son. Not just her young son, but it says her only son. I want you to remember what you know about the first century. In the first century, women didn't have rights. They, they couldn't own property. They couldn't represent themselves in court. So if you were without a man in the home, she's lost her husband and she's lost her only son. She's now without any rights her, her life has just cratered. Not only is she in deep grief over the loss of her son, but she, she's also lost everything. And, and it, as, as she's going out, we're told she's weeping about the son she just lost. Now, in that day, they didn't embalm bodies. When somebody died, they would wash the body, prepare it, and they would bury on the same day. So that means as Jesus was leaving uh, Capernaum that morning, the boy died that morning. And they would have spent the day preparing. And at the moment as Jesus has traveled all day to get to the city, they're at the point of bringing this this body out to be buried. And there's a sizable crowd that goes with her. It's a small town. Everybody knows the loss that this woman has experienced. They would have all turned out for the funeral. So the whole city is coming out. Now, we have a saying when somebody dies, right? We say they're about to meet their maker. And in this case, the boy was literally about to meet his maker. Because God was coming up the side of the mountain. And as these two processions meet, this was not a matter of coincidence. This was divine providence. When God left Capernaum, Jesus, God in the flesh, left Capernaum that morning, he knew what was happening in name. And he was already on his way to meet that need. That woman that morning when her son died, she had no idea that she was about to meet Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're facing needs in your life. And you're wondering, where is God? Does God even know what's going on in my life? Does God care what's happening to me? And what you don't know is that God is aware not only of your need, but he may be at work in ways that you can't see because you haven't yet seen it. I want you to think about a time maybe where you've sat at a window watching one of these big Texas thunderstorms roll in. You know how there's, there's all these lightning flashes and thunder and, and, and this, this big storm is happening. And as you're sitting there, I remember when I was a little boy, I'd watch these storms through a window. And I'd see the bright light of a, a, a lightning flash. And then after a little bit, you'd hear that big boom of the thunder. And when I was little, I wondered, why, why doesn't the, the thunder and lightning happen at the same time? Now, they, they do But because light travels faster than sound, we see the flash before we hear the sound. And prayer is a little bit like that sometimes. What happens is we we sit praying at the window of heaven, right? And we we expect God's answer. And sometimes we see a flash, so to speak. We see a sign that God is going to uh, answer that prayer. Uh, And and we know that in a short time, the thunderous response is going to follow, but there are other times that, that we see nothing. our view's limited, so we don't see all of the heavenlies. we don't see any flashes, we don 't hear any booms. all we see is the rain falling and the water rising. and we're wondering where is God? And we doubt his love for us, we doubt his ability to answer and in those times, we need to remember that we only have a, a limited view of the heavenlies. We can't see everything and and it, when we're facing one of those dark deep nights of a a thunderstorm in our life, we we need to understand that God is, is not silent. There may be a sudden flash and a thunderous response. God knows your needs, and he may be at work in ways that you don't yet know. That was the case with this woman. Here was this widow of Nain who didn't know right outside the gate was God waiting to meet her need. Verse 13 says, And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. Now, you may read a passage like that and go, don't cry. Wow, that's that's real comforting. Those words aren't real helpful at the moment, are they? I think of the story of a, a young boy who went to buy milk at the store and uh, this was a family that didn't have a lot of resource and the mother gave the young boy the money for milk and he sa- she said, this is all we have, be very careful with the bottles, um, you know, we need the, we need the milk for, for the baby. And he went to the store and he bought the milk and he was coming out carrying the bag and, and he tripped and fell and as he did so, the bottle fell to the ground and, and the bottles, uh, I mean the bag fell to the ground, all the bottles shattered and the milk spilled out everywhere. Now the, the boy started crying. And a crowd quickly formed around him, and they were worried Did he cut himself on the glass when he fell. And they picked the boy up, and they're checking him over. And, and they say, it's okay, son. You're okay. You're, you're not hurt. And he said, but, but the milk. The milk's all And They said, oh, we're so sorry about that. That's terrible. And, and the boy said, but that's all the money we had, and, and, and we need the milk for the baby. And and, 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 you know, and and suddenly one of the men in the crowd reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a dollar. And he hands it to the little boy. And then he turns to the rest of the crowd and he says, I care a dollar's worth. How much do you care? You see, words are powerful. And words are needed. There are times just we can have a ministry of presence in a time of loss. There are times that, that just being with somebody and speaking words of truth and comfort can help. But there are also times that God wants us to go beyond simply speaking words. We see that in James 2.15-16. through 16. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? When we read here that the Lord tells her not to cry, these aren't empty words, friends. Jesus is about to do something to remove the reason for her crying. It says he saw her grief. He was moved with compassion. And do you know, he he did the same thing with us. He saw our need. He saw us for who we were in our time of need as sinners. And he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion, not a dollar's worth, but enough to die for us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He left his throne in heaven. He came to earth. He took on flesh and blood so he could ultimately go to the cross to pay the penalty of death because he saw our need. And he didn't just speak words, but he, as the word of God, took on flesh and blood. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he became the incarnation. He came to this planet so he could take our place and go to the cross. Isaiah 53 3 says, he was a man who was despised and forsaken, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as he saw us in our time of need, he, he didn't say, I love you this much or this much. He said, I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he died for us. And here uh, he, he shows that he loves this woman. He doesn't just say words. He showed it at the tomb of Lazarus. There it says he wept. He experienced grief as, a f- as fully man and fully God. He wept. And, and here through his personal suffering, he saved us on the cross. And here as he sees this woman suffering as well, he's moved with compassion. You know, sometimes we we question God and his care for us. Others will say, I I know he cares, but we we wonder, is he really in control? I mean, if God is really in control, why doesn't he do something about the stuff in the world? There was a, a young man who was a believer, but he was struggling with his faith. Life had been really hard for a period of time. As he went out to the bus stop to get on the bus, he, he took the, the transportation, about 20-minute ride on, on, the, on the city bus. And, and as he went out, it was a morning kind of like this. It was wet, and it was cold, and, 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 you know, he was bundled up. And he gets on the bus, and he noticed that there was nobody else on the bus that morning except the bus driver. And, and he was glad because he, he needed quiet. He just needed to think. And, and to wonder, uh, you know, what was going on in his life and could God really be trusted. So he went all the way to the back of the bus and he sat down. And he was lost in thought as, as his bus traveled its normal route. He had ridden it for, for months upon months and it's turning down different streets. But this day was different because of the humidity in the air and the, the things that were happening. All the windows on the bus were fogged up. And the only window you could see out of was the the windshield at the front of the bus. You know, the windshield wipers were going, the heater was there trying to, you know, keep the the window clear. As this young man was lost in thought, at this particular moment he looks up and as he's looking out the front window of the bus, he sees a brick wall, the the side of a building, and the bus is barreling toward this, this brick wall. And the driver's not slowing down. He's not turning. And this, this young man, as he looks out the front window, that's all he can see. He stands up and he's about to yell, look out. But at that moment, as he stands up, the bus driver just simply turns the wheel and the bus goes down the side of the street he couldn't see through the fogged up windows. And he sees an open road ahead. At that moment, this young man sits down and he thinks, you know, Uh, The bus driver can see a lot better up there. He can see the road, and I can't. Maybe I should just trust him to drive the bus. And then at that moment, it dawned on him that that was what it was like in his life at the moment. While he couldn't see or understand all that was happening, he realized God has a full view of the road ahead. God knows what's happening, and maybe he should just trust God to drive the bus. Some of you this morning may be going through a time where you're 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 struggling with what's happening, and and you're the guy or the girl at the wheel of your life, and you're thinking I have to be in control because God's not doing a very good job driving the bus of my life. And while you may think you're doing an okay job, what you don't know is up ahead the road is out. And if you're trying to drive and control your life, you need to put God in the driver's seat because there is going to come a point where all of us will face a point where the bridge is out up ahead. Because the Bible tells us there is a point where when we die, we will, we will careen off the cliff into the abyss of eternity without Jesus Christ if we haven't placed our faith in him. Jesus says, I've provided the bridge home. I've covered that chasm. That's why he says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as we look at this passage in Luke today, I'm sure this mother was like that young man sitting in the back of the bus. As she went to bury her son, all she could see was that brick wall ahead. And and life was racing head on into the wall. And she was wondering, where is God? Why won't he do something? And what she didn't know is he was about to turn the wheel. And the road ahead was going to be opened up. As we look at what's happening here, this, this man is being carried out. And there's this, 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 verse 14 says, he came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. How many times have you been traveling up the road and seen a funeral procession? Now, don't raise any hands here, but how many of you immediately think, oh, great. And you step on the gas, right, to beat it. Because you don't have time to be bothered with death, right? you got places to go, things to do, and, and, and you're not going to stop. I mean, when I was a cop, I used to see people cut through the funeral processions, right? I know somebody here maybe did that by mistake. You didn't know that long line with the hearse and all those cars with lights, right? You know, what happens is there used to be a day when we saw a funeral procession, people would stop. You would just show respect. And as this funeral procession is coming out of the city, in that day, not only did you had to stop and stand aside, but when the procession passed you, you then had to join it. You had to turn around and become a part of the funeral. So Jesus in this long line of people are following him up this narrow mountain path and down comes his funeral procession. And it becomes, as Mowgli said, when two animals meet on a trail, which one will step aside for the other one? Death and Jesus, the Lord of life, meet on a trail, and the question becomes, who is going to yield to who? Would Jesus and the crowd step aside, let the funeral procession pass, and then do a U-turn and follow it into the cemetery? Well, Jesus stops the procession. We're about to find, is death the most powerful thing that steps aside for no one? But here, as all eyes are focused on the coffin, Jesus says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I want you to remember, this is an open-top coffin. He's shoulder high. Everybody can see this. And this, this boy who is has died and has been prepared for burial, sits up. Now, I, I love to read critics of the Bible who try to explain away miracles. Some have said of this passage, well, the boy really didn't sit up alive. This is rigor mortis. You know what rigor mortis is? It's where the body tightens. And when, it, when a body dies, uh, there are still contractions and things of the muscle, and sometimes a body will move. But, friends, this is not rigor mortis. This is a resurrection. Remember, first of all, who's writing this gospel? Luke. You remember who he is? He's a medical doctor. He knows the difference between a resurrection and rigor mortis. And as as this boy sits up, it's not just a movement of the body. It says he speaks. This young man was alive. Luke says he begins to speak. And look at the reaction of the crowd in verse 17. And fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. People see this amazing miracle, and they go, how do we explain this? And they search their memory banks, and the only thing they can come up with to compare it is something that happened 100 years before right there on that mountain. The hill of Moray. If you, if you look at a map of Israel and you see what's happening, Nain was this little town on one side of the hill of Moray, and there was another little town on the other side called Shunan. And in Second Kings chapter 4, uh, there was a time where the prophet Elisha went into this little town of Shunan, and there was also a boy who had died, a young man who had died there. And it says that Elisha brought this young man back from the dead through the power of God. So as the people of Nain see this happen, they say Jesus must be a great prophet like Elisha because we've heard about a prophet who did this 100 years earlier. But unlike Elisha or Peter in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't have to do an elaborate ritual and prayer. He simply says, arise. Now, there was a time where he brought his friend Lazarus back from the dead, and as he did so, it said that he prayed first. And the reason he did that, he said, was so that his followers would see that God the Father hears his prayers. Jesus is God. He doesn't have to ask God to do these things the Father. He, as the Son, possesses that power as well. And so here he simply says, arise. Now as he does so, I want you to notice he prefaces the command with young man. The two other times Jesus brought somebody back from the dead, Lazarus, he said, Lazarus. Come forth. When he brought the little girl back from the dead, he said, Little girl, I say to you, arise. What would have happened if Jesus simply said, Arise? He's right there by his cemetery. (laughs) Every tomb, every grave would have opened. Wouldn't that have been cool to see? Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ? You're not only going to see it, you're going to experience it. Because the Bible tells us that there is a day coming, a day that 1 Thessalonians four thirteen 13-18 describes this way. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died as Christians, believers." For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Comfort one another with these words. This is talking about the rapture. The Latin word rapturo means to be caught up. And it says there is a time coming when God will raise those who have physically died. Their bodies, their shells are buried in the ground. Some have been cremated. Some have been buried at sea. God put us together out of the dust of the earth. He's going to reform all of these bodies. But it says that the body will rise to meet The Lord in the air of those who have already died. For you and I who are physically alive, if the rapture happened at this moment, everyone here who is a believer in Jesus Christ would be raptured, taken up to meet the Lord in the air. But it says the dead will rise first, the graves will open, the bodies will resurrect. The physical part is here on the earth of those who have already passed away, but their eternal soul is home with the Lord in heaven. That's why Second Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When a believer dies, their eternal soul immediately goes into the presence of God in heaven. Our earthly bodies will follow one day, and if the rapture were to occur this morning, all believers would be raptured out of here. And those who do not know Jesus would be left behind to go through the terrible time of the tribulation. This is what is being described here. It says, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. What will he say? We don't know. But the Bible says his sheep know his voice. Will he simply say, arise and all believers? I don't know. But I know when he speaks the words, we will be resurrected if we've been home with the Lord. As Jesus raised this young man, the little girl and Lazarus, they all died again, which is why when you read in the Bible that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, you're saying, but others have been resurrected before Christ. They've been resurrected, but their physical bodies all died a second time. Jesus did not. When Jesus was buried in the tomb and he rose from the dead three days later, he received his permanent glorified body. It's what people saw when he walked the earth for 40 days, and he appeared to more than 500 people. As you read in John chapter 20 and verse 25, you'll remember he appeared to his disciples, and Thomas wasn't there the first time. So in John 20, 25, as the disciples are saying, we've seen the resurrected Lord. Jesus, uh, Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And in verse 27, Jesus appeared a second time, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus said, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, we're given a picture into heaven. And there it says, John says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. John was able to see the resurrected Lord in his glorified perfect state in heaven. And isn't it interesting? It says that he still bears the marks of his crucifixion in heaven. Those are marks of honor. Those are the marks of what he paid to redeem you and me. It's what Jesus did to save all who were sinners who would come to faith in him. And when we see him in heaven, we will get to see the, the holes in his hands and his feet, where the spear was thrust into his side. We will see the, the marks of the thorn of of the, the crown of thorns that was on his brow. He will be in his perfect, beautiful, glorified state. And we will fall down and worship him and say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Thank you, Jesus for dying for me, to save me. Because Jesus has died, our bodies may suffer death, but for the believer, it is not the end of our life. It is the beginning of eternal life. That's why Paul tells us here in 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore comfort one another with these words. There was a wife of a, a busy Christian physician, and this doctor died. And everybody was worried about how the the new widow was going to be handling her husband's death. And so they went to the home to to try to comfort her. And as they walked into the home and were brought into the living room, they knew that everything was going to be okay. Because there displayed on the, the mantle over the fireplace was the sign that this doctor used to use. Whenever he was having to go out on an emergency call, he would put that sign in the window of his home and it said, gone out back soon. And she had taken his sign and she had put it up on the mantle as a reminder. He's gone out, but he'll be back soon. He'll be back at the resurrection. He'll be back at the rapture. He's not dead. He's not lost. He's more alive today than he's ever been before because he's home with the Lord in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, All who have died in Jesus have gone out, but we will be back soon. And the question this morning is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? When that day comes, where you and death meet on a narrow path, who will yield to who? Well, Ecclesiastes says death is the end of every man. We will physically die if the rapture doesn't occur first. But the question then becomes... Will you face and suffer the second death? You see, Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the second death being called the lake of fire, hell. And death is defined as separation. It's separation of our soul from our body. And if we are physically separated, our, our eternal state separated from God in hell, then that's the second death. And he says, a believer does not suffer the second death. You will not; Death will yield to you if you're walking with Jesus Christ. Because he bought and paid that penalty of death and he welcomes us home to heaven. If you're still in the funeral procession where you're trying to get to God on your own, I invite you today to change processions. To move from the funeral procession to becoming a follower of the Lord of life. To accepting Jesus as your savior. Death yielded to Christ that day. Just as it did when death met Jesus on a hill called Calvary, it yielded to Christ that day again. Jesus has conquered sin and death every time he encountered it. You know, as you read through the scriptures, it's interesting. Whenever you see the miracles that were done, as Jesus healed leopards or blind or or helped those who were sick or poor, there were always others. He even said, the poor you have with you always. He didn't heal everybody at the pool of Bethsaida. But every time Jesus encountered death, he conquered it. He brought people back from the dead. Whenever he attended a funeral, he broke it up. As you think about your eternal state, as you and death meet one day, who will yield to who? Jesus said in Corinthians, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He overcame sin and death, and he offers us the gift of eternal life. That day as Jesus brought the boy back to life, instead of Christ in the procession having to do a U-turn and follow death into the cemetery, you know what happened? The funeral procession did a U-turn and followed Jesus back into the city of Nain. And they went there to celebrate the gift of life as this boy had been brought back to life. And today you have a chance to join the celebration, to change processions. If you walked in here this morning in the funeral procession without hope, without faith in Jesus, he invites you today to become a believer. John 5.24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, the word of God, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to end our time today with a prayer. It's an opportunity for you to acknowledge your need for Jesus as your Savior. To say to him, I'm a sinner. That word sin simply means you've missed the mark. It means you haven't been perfect. There's not a single person here this morning who's ever lived a perfect life. We've all lied, stolen, cheated, done something wrong. And because of that, we owe a penalty. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He offers you the gift of new life. If you will say to him, God, I'm a sinner and I know I need you to save me and I accept your death on the cross as payment for my sins. And if you will receive him, then you will be saved. We're going to bow our heads in prayer. We're going to go to God in prayer now. And if you would like to receive him as your Savior, then I want you to simply repeat this prayer with me. You don't have to walk the aisle, you don't have to raise your hand, but you do have to humble your heart. You do have to say to God, God, I realize that I need you, and I need your gift of new and eternal life. And if you'd like to receive that, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes in my life. And even though I've tried to to live a good and decent life, I, I recognize that because I've made mistakes, I owe a penalty. A penalty of death. And Jesus, I thank you that you loved me enough to come and take my place, going to the cross and paying that penalty of death that I personally owe. I believe you're who you said you are, the Son of God. You proved that by conquering sin and death. As you rose from the dead three days later, you showed that you were indeed the Son of God. And I accept your death today, Jesus, as the payment of my sins. I thank you for the gift of new and eternal life that I have. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to live my life in a way that would honor you, Thank you for this gift of new and eternal life. And Lord, I know there are needs here this morning. There are many needs, hurting homes and relationships, some that are sick or feeling financial pressure. Lord, there are other needs that you know, and we know that your mercy and grace can cover those things. Lord, some have been praying and are waiting expectantly to see the lightning and the thunder of your response. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage them and help them to wait on you and to know that you have a picture of what's happening. You know the road ahead, and you and your perfect will will uh, lead and guide things. But, Father, people have free will, human will, that we have to yield to you. And we know you say that you desire that none should perish but all should come to know you. And we pray, Father, for those who maybe yet have not yielded themselves to you and become believers. We pray, Lord, for those who have not yet yielded themselves into your perfect hand of discipline. Would you do your work in their life? Lord, as we think of all these needs, we praise you that you have already met the greatest need we will ever have, which is for a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for coming and giving us the gift of new and eternal life. It's in your precious name that we pray and thank you this morning. There are going to be prayer leaders here at the front in a moment. I would like them to come, and if you have a need, to pray with them. Normally we close with a closing song of worship, but our worship leader wasn't feeling well. So let me give you a closing benediction. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Go and share the good news that death yielded to the Lord of life. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You're dismissed.